Aren't you glad we're a multi-generational church? Isn't it a good thing? Amen. Amen. God has called all of us to be a blessing. And when we wake up in the mornings asking God, who do you want me to bless today? That changes your entire day. That acronym bless, begin with prayer. Start praying for people. L is listen to people. Eat, buy someone a meal. S is serve. And the other S is share. Share about the goodness of God. And when you take those risks and trust God with the results, God transforms lives in so many ways. And for the last three plus years, that's what we've been doing together, journeying together living that out together. Blessed stories are simply celebrating what God is doing because God's goodness is too much for just this building, right? We want to live it wherever God leads us, live, work, learn, or play. So that's, if you're new to grace, you're like, what's a blessed story? That just shares our heart and we want to be a blessing in the sound and to the nations. That's our desire. Also, uh, we have the high school camp going on this weekend. Here's one picture. Here's one picture. The high school students are having a blast, hearing great reports of what God is doing there. And they have one more night. So continue to pray for what God is, how he's transforming lives at our high school camp this weekend. And we don't do this very often, but could we, we've got a team here. And I think of Max with sound, Sarah, I think of Ty, I think of, I, I could leave someone out here, Joel Miller. Um, I think of, there's so Josh, there's so many that serve behind the scenes in tech. And we've got a whole team that rotates all the time. Can we just give it up for our tech team that serves us so well? All right, we are in a series right now going through the parables of Jesus, focusing on the kingdom of God. And usually in our series, things are mapped out and everything's planned and it's good to have a plan. But we felt in this series, we would do it a little differently. And what I've been doing each week is just praying, God, what's the next parable? And our worship team, similarly, God, what do you want right now? And maybe in your life, you have some things planned and that's important and that's good. I want to affirm that. And then there's also seasons and situations where God has you just pause and really try to listen close. And God, what do you want right now? And staying fresh in that listening moment. And that's how we've been walking through this series. Maybe that's an encouragement to you in your walk with God. Today we're in Matthew chapter 25. If you brought a Bible, please open it up or turn there on your phones. Matthew chapter 25. And the focus of this parable is that the king is coming back. The king is coming back. That should bring a lot of joy to your heart when you hear that, because we really don't have a lot of news that's better than the king is coming back. Let's pray. Jesus, your name is the name above all names. You are the one we live for. We have life and breath because of you. We have salvation because of you. Our desire is that you be glorified and lifted up, Jesus, that our hearts would be drawn to you and to your kingdom today. God, forgive us of our sin this week and how that hurts our relationship with you and other people. And God, renew us in our minds and hearts to live for you, to love well, and to be a blessing. God, thank you when we gather together that you're with us and for the things that you do, God, that we can't even plan. We thank you and we praise you and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Seek first the kingdom. Let's say that together. Seek first the kingdom. One more time, seek first the kingdom. That is the heartbeat of this series. It also comes directly from scripture. Jesus said it in Matthew chapter six. Take a look at verses 33 and 34. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. 
Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. What does that tell us? What is Jesus saying to us? Priorities today seek first God's kingdom. Let's not get caught up in worries, trying to figure everything out about tomorrow, discouragement, despair, distractions, excuses, materialism, selfishness. Like, let's move past those things. And together, we're on a journey in this series. What does it look like to seek first his kingdom? What does it look like for your life individually? What does it look like for us together to listen to Jesus and hear, seek first his kingdom. The more we learn about God's kingdom, the more we see that it's countercultural. The more you study the parables in God's kingdom, you see that his priorities, his love, his economy, his values, his direction, it's so different than the trends in our world today. And that creates sometimes some tension, definitely some decisions, and in a healthy way, it leads us to make some good shifts. The more you dive into God's word and heart and kingdom, the more you open up yourself to God, the more God starts to make good shifts in our lives. And today, from this passage and parable, we're gonna highlight three good shifts. We're in Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse one. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil and jars along with their lamps. And that combination is important. When you first read this parable, and Jesus is describing the kingdom as he does in the parables, he says the kingdom is like a wedding, It's like 10 virgins, 10 lamps, five have oil, and five don't have oil. Now, let me ask you, if someone approached you later today and said, hey, tell me about the kingdom, would you say, oh, it's like a wedding with 10 virgins? (laughs) I mean, this isn't how we naturally describe the kingdom of God, right? And when he says it's like a wedding, 10 virgins, 10 lamps, five have oil, five don't, you probably don't hear that and think, now I get it. I totally understand the kingdom. Like it's just all so clear right now to me. I finally got it. Actually, when you read this parable, you might have a few more questions. And Jesus would share parables that have a very literal meaning, but then there's a deeper story and meaning going on. And whoever has ears to hear, let them hear because God is revealing through this parable. Now, The parable talks about weddings. Weddings are important in every culture, every generation, every nation. Weddings are very significant. Uh, Marriage comes from God. It's his idea. It's a good thing. It's also, you're just as... You have just as much value to God if you're single, if you're married. There's different seasons, equally important as a person if you're single or married. Here we have a wedding, and weddings back then were different than they are today in some in some different aspects. And just as you think about the return of Christ, it's important to know what weddings were like back then. And to give a quick overview, people were betrothed. That was even more significant than engagement. There was a long period of waiting and the bride would be with parents in a different house. I said a different house than the groom and the groom would be with parents 
And there was a waiting for the wedding for a consummation in many ways that the two are going to become one because the purpose of marriage is the two become one and together they glorify God. Now, when the time comes, the groom goes to the bride's house and then welcomes his bride and there's a procession back to the groom's house where there's a celebration and it often lasts more than a week. All of our weddings are short compared to the weddings you're reading about in the Bible. That's why when you read about the first miracle, Jesus, the wedding, and this is in Cana and Galilee, when they run out of wine right away, that's a big deal because the wedding's gonna come, it's gonna be for over a week. And Jesus turns water into wine. Why? Because, well, part of it, he's serving people. The other part is he's showing wine represents joy. He says, do that in the ceremonial jars where you've got all the religion and rules and ceremonies. I'm bringing a greater joy. I'm gonna provide a greater joy than any of your religion can provide. So Jesus used weddings as opportunities to teach about the kingdom and who he is and even his return. It's important to have that context. You say, well, that's a lot of details about weddings. Here's the bottom line right here. Five were wise with the preparation and five were foolish and they were not prepared. When the procession starts to move back and the celebration is going to start and everyone's traveling and going to the groom's house, five were prepared and five were not prepared. And now we jump to the deeper level because Jesus is the king There's no kingdom without a king. Jesus is the king. The king is going to return and he's telling everyone it's so much deeper than just a wedding. He's gonna return to earth. He's gonna be visibly, physically, and gloriously returning. We are the bride of Christ. He is gonna come welcome us. There's gonna be a new heaven, new earth, and we're gonna spend eternity with him. You say, well, when's this gonna happen? Well, I'm glad you asked. Luke chapter 12, verses 39 and 40, but understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready because the son of man will come at an hour where you do not expect him. You're not gonna be sitting in your home or driving your car thinking, I'm expecting Jesus right now. No teacher is gonna tell you, oh, this is the day, this is the hour, you better get ready. It's coming real soon, it's gonna be on Thursday. Hey, mark that on your calendar. That's not how he's gonna return. He's gonna return unexpectedly and the question is, who's ready? Who's ready for Jesus to return? And that's helpful for us to think about, to go deep with that question. And you say, well, what are some keys? What are some shifts? What's at the core of being ready? Here's one from the parable. Hone in on what you need, not what you want. In life, there's what you want and there's what you need. Hone in on what you need, not what you want. Five virgins had what they needed. They had oil. Five didn't have what they need. They were probably caught up with what they wanted and missed what they actually need. Now, oil is a metaphor. Oftentimes in the Bible, it's linked to the Holy Spirit. And when you think about anointing, you think about being anointed with the Holy Spirit. There's anointing with oil. Uh, We won't unpack all that today, but that's a great Bible study for you. Uh, But think about it this way. Some 
have the Holy Spirit, some don't. We all, when you put your trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwells in you as a seal. And that's so important, God dwells in you. You have the Holy Spirit in you. We need the Holy Spirit for salvation. We can't save each other, the Holy Spirit saves. So the Holy Spirit, he is essential for salvation and the Holy Spirit's important as a reminder for the daily life of a Christian following Jesus. Every single day, we need the power and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We need the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. That all comes from the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the oil in the Spirit, you don't have the fruit. So if you get sidetracked on things you want instead of you need, you might undervalue the Holy Spirit's role in your life. Well, again, what are they chasing? What are we chasing? We live in a culture that majors on what you want and minors on what you need. That's our culture. It's not like the kingdom. The kingdom's opposite. But our culture majors on what you want, minors on what you need. What does that mean? There's billions of dollars spent in advertising to try to convince you that what you want is actually what you need. But what you want is not what you need. Well, what else? We're given credit cards so that you can buy whatever you want. And if you go into debt that's not wise, just keep buying, 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 because if you buy what you want, you'll finally be happy. Well, what else? In this gospel of everything is about what I want, we live in a world and in a culture where there's unlimited choices. When you go to the grocery store, you're actually making thousands of choices. Like if I just want some milk, I've got to decide organic, not organic, skim, which brand, whole, 2%, what are the prices? Like I could do a cost analysis and that's just milk. Like you could go through the entire grocery store and choose amongst hundreds of options in every aisle. And it's not just food. It's a culture where clothes, so many choices, shoes, So many brands and choices, TV stations. Some of you know what it's like to grow up before there was cable and there was four main stations. Now there's 400 and that's just on one platform. And then you go to another platform and there's stations everywhere because we want what we want. Apps, we want what we want. Phone, more choices. Amazon, give me all the choices. We have an endless amount of choices and we're telling people that happiness is having millions of choices because you can have whatever you want and it's all about you and it's all about what you want. That is the culture that we live in. And so we have many people who have a PhD in what they want and they're at third grade in what they need. Let me just say that again in love. We've got people with a PhD in what they want in a third grade level figuring out what we actually need. So what do we need? Well, if you broke it down real simple, we need love, giving and receiving from God. We need love, giving and receiving from other people, and we need a purpose that's meaningful from God in our lives. That's kingdom talk. That's kingdom priorities. And it's so easy to get lost in a distracted world and chase everything we want and undervalue what we actually need. For these 10 right here, what they actually need is oil, but five, they're not gonna be interested in what they need. They're distracted by the things they want. Jesus knows how easily we get distracted and swayed by the culture. 
and he talks kingdom. He says, men and women don't live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Well, why did he say that? Because he knows we get way too overconsumed with what we eat and we undervalue God's word, his voice, his truth, his scripture. So he helps us to be kingdom minded when he says that. Well, what else? Martha's so busy. She's running around. She's ticked because Mary's not as busy as she is. And she lays out this apparent injustice to Jesus who doesn't come alongside Martha and agree with her position. Have you ever laid something out to Jesus and then Jesus doesn't agree with you? Well, what does he say? Martha, you're worried and upset, but there's only one thing that's needed. Martha, you want so many things, but there's only one thing that's needed and Mary gets it. She's chosen what's better and it will not be taken away. Why does Jesus say that? Because we chase and we're running and we're hurrying and we're busy and there's to-do lists and there's tasks and we overvalue performance in our culture and we undervalue abiding, affection, attention, and closeness with Jesus. Well, Jesus tells the disciples, watch and pray because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You see, we're gonna overvalue just casual, sleepy. We're gonna overvalue the flesh, me, right now, what I feel like right now. And we're gonna undervalue spiritually where you at. Prayer, fasting, worship. We're gonna undervalue those things. And Jesus knows it, so he's coaching us, he's encouraging us. If you continually overvalue what you want and you undervalue what you need, you won't feel healthy in your inner life. And we've got a culture right now that can't figure it out. We're chasing everything we want and we just can't figure out why are we so much despair? Why is there so much depression? Why is there so much anxiety? Because I've got more food. I want more things to drink. I want more parties. I want more screens. I want more technology. I want more of what I want and I can't figure out why it's not working on the inside. Well, these 10, it's working for five It's not working for the other five. And that contrast opens our eyes. I'll say this, if you focus primarily on what you want instead of what you need, you will never have the satisfaction you're desiring in life. And just like the five without the oil, you will miss some of the presence, joy, and peace of God. You will miss it. But if you focus on what you really need, and you make that choice and you're kingdom minded and you don't just conform to the patterns of this culture, you will have a fountain of joy and peace that'll overflow and bless so many people. And that's the contrast as we think about these 10, Jesus lays it out. Well, what other shift would be good? As you look at verse five, we read, the bridegroom was a long time in coming. Do you ever feel that way? (laughs) Like Jesus, Last week would have been okay with me, you know? A year ago, that would have worked, that would have worked. Uh, Well, the bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. Sometimes the church becomes drowsy and falls asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and they trimmed their lamps and the foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil 
our lamps are going out. Again, do you ever feel like it's a long time to wait? Do you ever feel it's easy to become drowsy in your walk with God? I mean, Jesus hasn't returned yet. Well, here's an important truth and a good shift. You are responsible for your spiritual temperature in your life. You're the one who's responsible and you have as much of God as you want. You're responsible for your spiritual temperature. Now, some of them don't have the oil and notice they can't steal, borrow, or even buy their way into the kingdom. No one can earn their way into the kingdom, fake it, steal. If you know someone who loves Jesus, you can't say, hey, Jesus, I know someone over there who loves you. Hey, can I take your salvation from you and just steal it? And you know, you don't have it, I'll take it. You can't do it that way. It's between you and God. And one of the verses that's always jumped out to me that Jesus said is Matthew chapter seven. In verses 21 to 23, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of the father who's in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I don't think there's a more sobering verse in the Bible. I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Well, what does that mean? That means there's a lot of people who have facts about Jesus, but they don't follow Jesus. There's a lot of people who've been doing activities that they say are Christian. There's a lot of people on committees at churches that aren't yet born again. There's people who are members at churches There's people who have degrees in theology, but yet they refuse to come to Jesus for eternal life. And they even use Jesus' name. They've got the religious talk. There's no purgatory, by the way, in the Bible. A lot of people are saying, well, I'll just get to purgatory. Then I'll kind of work my way up and convince God. That plan doesn't line up with scripture. There's no purgatory. When we die and our last breath comes, we come before the Lord. And we're responsible for our own spiritual temperature in life. You decide if you want to follow Jesus. You decide if you want to follow Jesus fully. And there's different temperatures. Isn't it interesting that our body has a temperature where it's healthy? If someone came up to you today and said, you know, the temperature of your body, it should actually be 24 degrees. You'd be like, no, that's not, that's not right. That just doesn't sound right. I grew up in Minnesota. That winter is 24 degrees. And, and that's without the wind chill, right? So if someone tells you that, you're like, no, that's just not right. If someone says, hey, go for 63 degrees, you know, that's gonna be the healthiest point for your body. You say, no, that's a little low. That's a little low. If they came up to you and said 84.6, you'd say you're getting a little closer, but actually it's 98.6. That's where I need to be. And sometimes you're gonna have people come alongside of you. They might be family or friends, people at your work who are saying, could you just turn down the temperature spiritually here? Could, could you just not be so on fire for God? Could we bring that temperature down? And you're gonna be tempted to go, oh yeah, my bad, 98.6, too hot, too hot. Okay, where do you want me? 74, I'll be 74. Where do you want me, 36? I think I can get down close to 36. And we're constantly adjusting our spiritual temperature based on the culture and the people around us. And I'll tell you the trap, and this is how temperature gets lowered spiritually. You choose religion over relationship. You choose rules over regeneration. 
You choose the form of religion over the power of God, the outside instead of the inside, the effort and the human striving instead of the Holy Spirit, and then profess but not actually possess God's presence working through our lives. And so we're responsible for our spiritual temperature. I'm encouraged by Sojourner Truth. Maybe you know her story. She was born as a slave. Her name was Isabella. Cruel owners, battered, escaped. She had some religion in her background, just a general sense and a general concept of God. But it wasn't until she was a young adult she decided to follow Jesus. God spoke to her in a vision. She proclaimed, oh God, I didn't know you were so big. And maybe as you think about God's kingdom, there'll be the same revelation She declared truth is powerful and truth prevails. That led to her name, Sojourner Truth. The Sojourner aspect was in 1843, she sensed God calling her to go east to Connecticut and Massachusetts. She trusted God. There wasn't an obvious provision. She really didn't have any material possessions. But what she said is that the spirit calls me and I must go. You hear the kingdom in that? I'm listening to God, the Spirit's leading me, and I must say yes, that's kingdom. She declared, the Lord has made me a sign unto this nation, and I will go around testifying and tell everyone about when I found Jesus. That's kingdom. When you're ready to start telling your story about Jesus and what he's done in your life, how he's changed your life, that's kingdom. Now, she couldn't read very well. She memorized the Bible by listening. That's kingdom because men and women don't just take in food for their stomachs, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In addition, abolitionist against slavery to take that down, elevating women's rights and equality, more kingdom work. Now you could say she wasn't treated well, I would agree. You could say she didn't have much money, I'd agree. You said she didn't have the education others had and the literacy, and I would agree. You could say she didn't have the connections naturally that some other people have, and I would agree. But I would say that none of those things lowered her spiritual temperature. And may we in our lives move past excuses and cultural tendencies because one thing we can all be is on fire for God. You are anointed, the Holy Spirit is in you. The Bible says, let your light shine. Don't put it in somewhere where you try to hide that light, but shine like stars in the universe in a crooked and depraved generation. Let your light shine in the sound. Let your light shine for the glory of God. Now, they're, again, uh, waiting. We're waiting for Christ's return. How are we gonna respond? Here's something that's inspiring, and it comes from, you know, people describe different generations, Gen Z, under 23 right now in our country. Something's been happening the last couple weeks at Asbury University, and I wanna share a clip, and we're gonna enter in, kind of worship with them, and you see what's happening and it's in a facility, I think it holds about 1,500 people that they've been thinking about renovating for a long time. It's not about the facility. It's no big name speaker. It's no big name band. What we have is people gathering together to worship Jesus. Take a look and let's worship with them for a minute.
want more of you, God. Seek first his kingdom. It's been a couple weeks now. It's been inspiring the country. What started out with college students that just didn't want their chapel to end, now community comes, all generations coming together. And there's gonna be critics and mockers, and I don't know everything that's going on in Asbury, but I'll tell you this, I see people seeking God. That's a good thing, that's a good thing. I see people worshiping God, that's a good thing. I see people praying, that's a good thing. I see repentance, that's a good thing. I see people in love with God, telling other people about God. I see people coming to know God, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. In all settings, you will know them by their fruit, right? And to seek God, to seek his kingdom first, there's other campuses where it's starting to happen. This might be a time when God ushers in through his presence a new work from his Holy Spirit. None of us know where all this is going right now. But if we take the posture of seek first his kingdom, we can't go wrong. And this is what someone says, God goes where he is wanted. Isn't that deep? God goes where he is wanted and people go where God is moving. May God usher in a new work. May he start with his people. May he start in churches where the spiritual temperature starts to change. The spiritual temperature starts to shift. Not emotions, not just for a week, but a deep work in our lives where the spiritual temperature is just different than it was last year. And Jesus is calling us, calling us, I believe, for something that really we're longing for. We're longing for in our lives. And this is a kingdom shift. Here's the end of the parable and Matthew 25, starting in verse 10. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived, the virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and then the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. And the third shift is to recalibrate your life with the return of Jesus as your North Star. Sometimes it's helpful to think ahead, find a certain point, and then from that point, realign your life with heaven. The return of Jesus. We don't know the day or the hour. We know it'll be sudden and unexpected, but I'll guarantee you this, the king will return. Jesus has kept every promise. He's not breaking this one. The king will return. And what does the Bible tell us about this? The chapter before, Matthew chapter 24, I encourage you to read it and study it. Jesus says, here's the signs. Here's some warnings. When you see things like we've just saw a bigger earthquake than we've seen in 100 years in Syria and Turkey, when you look at some realities in North Korea right now, some things that are happening in China, when you look around and you see plagues and you see different things happening, like lift up your eyes, lift up your eyes to the Lord and then be ready, be ready, be ready. Matthew 24 leads into this and it's a good chapter to know. Here's, I'm gonna highlight a couple things you're gonna see the closer we get to Christ's return. First, there'll be more mockers. There'll be more mockers of Christ and his return. Second Peter chapter three, verses three and four. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come 
scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. He'll say they'll deliberately deny, they'll deliberately forget, they will undermine, they will doubt. Think about the spies that were called towards the promised land. Of the 12 spies, anyone read their Bible recently about how many of them said no to God? 10 out of 12 of the spies, Joshua and Caleb had a different spirit about the promised land, about this kingdom promise. And I'm telling you, you're gonna have scoffers and mockers when you align your life with the return of Christ, there's gonna be people who try to undermine you. Right now at the high school camp, you know what the theme is? Pastor Jesse prayed and picked this out. It's from the book of Daniel. Stand for God, even if no one else is. How do you think it feels to be in middle school, in high school, in some elementary schools loving Jesus? You might feel like you're standing when no one else is from Daniel because there's gonna be more mockers. Here's the second thing. There's gonna be more evil that's happening. There's, uh, when you look at what the devil wants to steal, kill, and destroy, and there's gonna be a fury uh, in the end times. Ultimately, the devil's a defeated foe and will be thrown into the lake of fire. But there is a battle. I'm inspired by those who serve our country in the military, who have and are, and we thank God for every one of them. Yep. We, we don't just need to applaud on Memorial Day or Veterans Day. Like this is an ongoing gratitude that we have. And as I look back, this picture has just been in my mind so many times with Normandy and World War II. And as you think about those pictures, like was the food good for them? Probably not. Was sleep really sound? Probably not. Was the ride comfortable? No, that's not a cruise ship, right? And so what did they decide? That there's something more important than my hobbies, than the things I maybe want right now. There's something that's needed. There's a call because there's evil in the world and God is calling us to step up and to make a difference. And if we don't do anything at this hour, what will the results be? And I'll tell you the heartbeat behind that operation right there is that people are not going to make it. Hitler's real, evil's real, People are not gonna make it unless we do something. And that stirred a generation. And I believe that same call today goes out to the followers of Jesus. If we don't do anything right now, there's gonna be some people who aren't going to make it. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, food, clean water. God has called us to make a difference. And the more evil we see, the more we step up together. Being real so you're not rattled. More mockers, more evil. Fear not, flock, fear not. Our Savior's victorious. And the third truth is there's gonna be more fruit. Matthew 24, 14 says this gospel will go to the ends of the earth. Everyone will hear. There'll be people from every nation, tongue, and tribe in heaven. And there's gonna be more and more every day that are saying yes to the king, yes to the kingdom, changing lives. There's a harvest at the end time that'll just blow your mind. Incredible what God's doing in the middle of the mocking, in the middle of the evil. I'll tell you what our church, the posture we'll take is that we're gonna trust God's word. 
We're gonna teach God's word. We're gonna believe God's word. We're not gonna shrink back or water down God's word. And ultimately it's not, although it's good to have that true in the four walls of this church, what's even more important because I'm only one voice, but in this room, how many voices do we have? And what's important is that when you leave here, where you live, work, learn, or play, you are right on point with God's word. Trust God's word. Our church has always stood on the gospel of Jesus Christ. This will not change. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. When Billy Graham came to downtown Seattle in the 1950s and our church started, there was one thing we were focused on, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That hasn't changed in 70 years because it's a salvation for all who believe, Jew and Gentile, young and old, every ethnicity and nation. We stand on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's not always at a stadium with a preacher that gets excited. It's also everyday people as I listened to someone in our church who teaches at middle school in the public schools. And last weekend after the service, she said, I just wanna share this. I've seen two students now bringing Bibles to school. And when I found out their story, there was tragedy. There weren't parents at home following God. And they brought their Bibles because they're looking for hope and they're looking for God. And she was able to come alongside with them individually and say, I bring my Bible too. And she said, can we open it and take a look? Because it's a new book for them. So she said, let's take a look at Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Who is this good shepherd? He's Jesus. You see, all of us together, the love and the light of Jesus, where God has led us. What I want you to be so clear about when you think about the return of Christ, don't be distracted or caught up with what God has called someone else to do. Because when you come before Jesus, you're not gonna have any explaining. There's no responsibility around what other people are called to do. But focus in on your life, your life. And then as you think about your life, get rid of and move past the things you're not called to do. There might be things in your life that you've said yes to that are either unimportant or they don't have your name on it. They're not from the kingdom. Lives aren't being transformed. But shift out of those things. So instead of what other people are called to do, instead of the things in your life that you're not called to do, enter in, hone in. God, what are you calling me to do right now? And let's make these three kingdom shifts. First of all, hone in on what is needed, not just what you want. In a culture that's drunk on what you want, be clear and sober about what you actually need. Second, take responsibility for your spiritual temperature. Stop blaming situations and people and excuses. Take responsibility in your walk with God. Is there oil or is it just a lamp? Is it just a lamp on the outside or is there oil on the inside? And then third, recalibrate about the return of Jesus. Live ready for his return because the king is coming back.